Hello and welcome to the Tell Me If You Can podcast, a podcast where I have the honor of listening to and unpacking stories of amazing women. My name is Ogechi, your host, and today's guest is Tasha Hunter. Tasha is an Air Force veteran and a licensed clinical social worker. In today's episode, she shares her experience of growth from surviving a traumatic childhood to becoming a therapist. In sharing her story, Tasha talks about the women that brought some light during her times of darkness, how her childhood affected her relationships, and how she maintained her faith along the way. Please note that this episode has mentions of child abuse and suicide, and this may be too sensitive for some listeners. Let's take a listen to Tasha's story. Welcome to the podcast. For those of us that don't know who you are, can you give us a quick bio, who you are, what you do, and where you're from? Sure. So I'm Tasha Hunter. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I grew up in Arkansas, and I now reside in North Carolina. Thank you so much for joining us today. So for us to just get a little bit about you, can you give us a little bit of a background? How was it growing up? And especially in Little Rock and um, that childhood, what was it like and what were some highlights growing up there? Sure. So I, I grew up, I was born to a, an 18-year-old young mom. She had already had a child uh, at the age of 14. And my childhood was, it was pretty difficult. She had given me away to uh, a lady that I call my, my grandmother. <laughs> And uh, that lady raised me for six years. And then my mother went to court and, and got custody of me. Mm-hmm. And she she struggled, uh, not not economically, nothing like that. But she she told me, she said, you know, I, I wish I would have aborted you. I, I wish I, I didn't have you. And so um, with that, I grew up being physically abused. Uh, eventually, I experienced also sexual abuse. Uh, and so I lived with my mother for 11 years. It was a really challenging childhood, to say the least. And the first six years of my life, though, those were, were life-giving. It was, it was, those were the years that were foundational and where I did get a lot of love uh, from my grandmother and lots of, of wonderful childhood memories. But the time with my mother, it was, it was, it was challenging so much so that uh, by the time I was 10 years old, uh, I started kind of asking God, like, you know, why am I born? Why, why, why did you, why did you bring me here for me to go through this? Uh, I was a child that never heard the words, I love you, or you can be anything you want to be, or you're important or being hugged. Uh, I had never even had my birthday celebrated my whole life, you know, and, and didn't know what it was like to, to celebrate holidays. Um, it was, it was really difficult, uh, growing up. Wow. That's really hard to hear. And I'm, unfortunately, there are probably a lot of people that can relate to this child type of childhood. Um, your mother seems to have had good intentions in giving you away 
and she whether she wanted to or not she created that opportunity for you to have a glimpse of what love was like a good healthy relationship with a caregiver was like obviously that was taken away and in your relationship with her there was that lack of physical emotional support and affection and of course those are the formative years of your life and 10 even so because you start to enter into that beginning part of puberty and being a woman so what was it like then being a preteen and a teenager in this type of household it was um again it was it was super traumatic uh not really knowing like who am i um in school i struggled with with grades mainly math and science i was always a writer. So I always journaled and read poetry. I lived in the library. The librarian was my best friend (laughs) at the time. And, um, and so every chance I got, I'd sneak off to the library. I I just read so many books. And that was my, my introduction into Dr. Maya Angelou and Nikki Giovanni and Langston Hughes and other poets. And so that was, that was my getaway. That was okay. You know, if I'm immersed in a book, then I can forget about everything else. So I'm this little dark skinned girl that struggled at home. I was very awkward in school because at home I wasn't allowed to have friends or have like sleepovers or anything with the outside world. And so at school I was a little bit awkward and I didn't have a lot of friends. And, and then a couple of years, you know, going into my preteen and teenager years, I became kind of the target for for bullies and, you know, kids picking on me. And and so I it it was it, it was pretty, pretty traumatic on both ends, but I just kept thinking, as soon as I turn 18, as soon as I, you know, if I get, you know, once I become an adult, I'm going to get out of here. Uh, this this is not this is not where it's at. I'm gonna leave. And so, um, although my childhood it was it was a little you know kind of terrible on both ends, it it helped me to kind of you know I said I I can't stay in this. And so, eventually, once I graduated high school, I went into the Air Force, and it was it was because of all of that. Wow. I mean, you went away, away, away. Once you said you were leaving, you went far because I imagine you weren't right in your backyard when you went into the Air Force. So let's go back, um, if you don't mind. Sure. Let's talk about some of the positive that happened. So we already talked about the woman that you would call your grandmother who gave you six years of affection and love that you needed Mm -hmm. and that were formative for you to know that glimpse of what, unfortunately, you were missing with your biological mother. But in school, you talked about the librarian being your best friend. Did you have any positive friendships or relationships that you could lean on during that time? I didn't have any super close friends. I had friends, but I didn't share with them anything that was going on at home. My saving grace through school is for some reason, I always had at least one teacher or one adult in school Mm -hmm. that was just really positive. And for instance, the librarian, she... uh, 
I said to her, I said, I keep having these dreams that I can fly. Like, and I don't know why, like I grow wings and I can fly. And, and she said, girl, she said, God is trying to tell you like that, you know, that, that you can get away, that you can go. You're trying to get away from something. Wow. And I thought, is that what's happening? And I was like, at this time, I'm like maybe 11 or 12 years old or something. I don't remember. And, and, and I said, hmm. And it gave me a new perspective, just that insight that, oh, I keep having these dreams in every dream, which I thought it was a nightmare. Like, why do I keep growing wings and flying away? I keep, you know, leaving and and she said, because God is trying to tell you that, that you've got it, like you can go. And she didn't know that I was being abused at home. Wow. And, and then I had another teacher, her name was Miss Brenda Adams. And again, I didn't share anything at home and she would just, for whatever reason, let me sit next to, I, she had a little chair next to her desk. And she'd let me just kind of visit with her. And we'd just talk like we were girlfriends or something. Like, like we were just <laughs> old friends. And my grandmother would tell me, she said, you know, Tasha, because you grew up with adults, around adults so much, and you didn't have interaction with children, you observed everything. I was always older than my actual age, more mature than my actual age. And... I just was so blessed with other black women. So it's like, even though my mother didn't love me and she would say mean things and say that she wished, you know, that she would have aborted me and just really horrible things. I had other black women at church and at school. Um, and also some in my, a, a couple of women in my biological, in my family that that cared for me, but they cared for me from a long distance because I didn't have a lot of interaction with them. But mainly mm -hmm. at school, I had at least one teacher, one guidance counselor, one, you know, librarian that that was just such a positive influence for me. Wow. So did you ever have anyone that you felt comfortable sharing what was happening at home? I did not. I was scared to death to scare to, to say anything because my mother, she would say to me, she would threaten me and she'd say, I'm going to send you away to a foster home. I'm going to send you to a group home. Uh, you know, I'm going to give you away to somebody and, and it's going to be worse than this home. You know, there's no telling what could happen to you. And I just thought, well, for me, it was kind of like, well, choose your poison. Are you going to stay in the home that you're at where you can kind of predict, okay, this is how my day is going to go. I know the, the, I know and can expect, you know, how my day is going to go each day, or am I going to go to the unknown and it be significantly worse? And so out of complete fear, and there was, there was even a time where Child Protective Services came to our house. Someone had reported that I had been abused. I have no idea how that happened. But she had gotten the call that they were coming to interview me, and she said, you better not tell them anything because they, they're going to take you away, and it's going to be even worse. And so when they came and they were asking me all of these questions and looking at the different, you know, looking at, they looked at my body and all of this, I said, nope, everything's fine. I lied. I lied about everything because I was so terrified. So I never told um, 
anyone at school. Now, my grandmother and my family, I did share some things with them, but never like the worst instances of what happened. Mm-hmm. And even the little bit that I shared, they would just say, you know, Tasha, you just need to pray. You just need to, you know, just pray for your mom. We're going to pray for your mom. She's not, she's mentally ill. She's got something wrong with her. She's always been that way. Um, and that was it. There was no like actual intervention to try to save me, <laughs> even though they knew that she was mentally, emotionally unstable. She didn't have, as far as I know, a formal diagnosis, but they didn't, with the the parts that they knew, they didn't do anything. So I didn't really trust if I tell somebody else that they would do anything either. Wow. Yes, I understand that um, that fear and then obviously the lack of trust because the people that should be stepping in and advocating for you, prayer is powerful, but action with prayer is really what transforms lives, especially when you were being so traumatized and hurt it's such a key point of your life and that really affects your future. But like you said, thanks be to God, you had people in your life. I always tell people that the way that I've always felt God's presence is through the people that have been placed in my life. And mm-hmm. whether that's like a teacher, I've had mentors, um, people at church, um, people that don't necessarily know what you're going through, but can somehow see that you need an accompaniment like them to accompany you along this journey. And it sounds like you had so many um, people along this journey, whether they knew it or not, accompanying you along the way. And I love how the librarian spoke about you being able to go places with your wings and fly, and then you end up in the Air Force. What led you to decide to take on this new career in the military? Yeah, so... During high school, which I was not doing so well in, I was failing chemistry and still whatever math they teach in high school, I was not doing well in it. I was failing. And I passed a an Air Force recruiter table. They were standing there in their Air Force blues. And I just kind of looked, kind of side eye like, okay. And then I went up, touched one of the pamphlets on the table and I didn't really say anything else. I just was like, okay. And just committed it to memory. And it was at that point where I I said to myself, this is how I'm going to get away. And coincidentally enough, the air force, (laughs) the, their, their motto or whatever is fly high. So, (laughs) oh, and, and so it fit. And, and so that was, the beginning of that was my escape. And I knew once I leave Arkansas, once I leave, leave Little Rock Air Force, I mean, not Little Rock Air Force Base, but Little Rock Airport, I'm gone. I'm never coming back. This is, this was too painful. Whatever this was, this 11 years with this lady, I'm never returning back to, to the scene of the crime, so to speak. And so uh, that, that was all I, it wasn't, I didn't join the military because I was so patriotic and wanted to serve my country. I went into the military because I needed to escape and and that's what it provided for me. Wow. And I mean, to be honest, there's so many reasons people join the military or take on any job. 
And sometimes it's not the glamorous or the, you know, the patriotic reason, like you said, sometimes it truly mm-hmm. is that sense of either a desire for adventure, desire to make something of themselves or experience something new, or, you know, truly an escape. And this mm-hmm. is an opportunity that also you have an opportunity to escape without paying for it, you know, you have the, sure. the, the government pays for this opportunity for you through your military service. So um, let's talk about how you relate to your family now. Um, I've had people on this podcast that have had issues with family before, and I personally mm-hmm. can relate. And the, the topic of forgiveness or even rebuilding that brokenness that exists, especially mm-hmm. when you talk about having women in your family that knew that there was something off. They may not have known all the details, but they, it wasn't up, it shouldn't have, the burden shouldn't have been placed on you to prove your worth in being saved. And so how did that affect your relationship with them, especially after you quote unquote escaped Little Rock and your traumatic childhood? Yeah, so with with not having a family, I didn't have a father. So that's one whole side of my family that I didn't have. Didn't have a connection with my mother's side of her family. Her parents had passed away when she was a very young child. And she, and I just didn't know a lot of her family. So I didn't really have any, ex, you know, much extended family. Um, but when I left, I pretty much said goodbye to everyone, everyone. And I was on my own, um, just me and in Jesus, so to speak. And, and it's like, so I had this when I was younger, somebody, uh, said, you know, read, read Psalms 27. And, and there's a scripture in there, uh, in, in the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 27, that says, you know, when my father, and mother forsake me that the Lord will take care of me. The Lord will, will, will receive me. And, and so I just believed, okay, God's going to take care of me. Um, I didn't, I didn't have any contact with my family. I just believed if, if you really cared about me and if you valued me, you had 17 years, cause I left home at 17. You had 17 whole years to be there to advocate for me, to call me and say happy birthday, to, to, um, to come and check on me out of the blue. And I didn't get any of that. And so now that I'm an adult, there's no reason for me to stick around and try to cling to these relationships. Um, and so that's what I thought at the time. And, and I stayed estranged from my family. It's, actually, I'm really still estranged from them. Uh, now it, it's just hard to even think of them because now I have a whole new family. And so life is so different than it was back then. Uh, but I left everybody. And, and I also did that for my safety because while I was in the military, my mother did a lot of of things that, that I can only describe as like terror. It, it, it was like she was a terrorist. And, and so she would write letters to the military. She would write letters to me. She would call me and say, I wish you would 
you were dead. I wish I would have never had you. I wish I would have aborted you. She would write crazy letters to the Air Force, to the Department of the Air Force, the Department of Defense. And trying to find, well, she had found me. I wasn't lost. And, and just kind of letting me know she would even call me at work while I was in the military. She had gotten someone to look me up and she'd say, you know, no matter where you are, I can find you. I'm your mother. You can never escape me. And so only, I don't know, again, if she ever had a formal diag you know, diagnosis from a mental health professional. I have no idea. But anyone that behaves in that way must be mentally ill. And so it just, it was very, you know, it, it just reminded me of a terrorist. Like she's going to continue like all of this. And so to protect myself, I stayed away from family because I didn't know if I contact them, if I even reach out, are they going to tell her? Are they going to, you know, are they going to worsen the situation that I'm already in, you know, regarding her, if that makes any sense? Mm-hmm. So once again, that trust issue kept you away from, even if you wanted to have a relationship with them, it kept sure. you away from that because your mom, while you had physically been away, she made sure to remind you consistently that that there was no room to have a, a good relationship, which is very sad to hear. But again, unfortunately, many people could probably relate that even family can choose, you know, to remain toxic and can choose to burn down that bridge. Whether you may have down the road wanted to have a relationship with her, she she showed herself as not being in the space mentally and emotionally to create an environment that warranted that relationship. Absolutely. Perfectly stated. Perfectly <laughs> you, stated. Um, so you talked about now that you have you have your own family. So I imagine, um, let's talk about them. Are you married? Do you have kids? Yeah, I have. Uh, I have one daughter. She is my bonus daughter. So she's my husband's daughter. And, nice. um, and so I've raised her since she was about three years old. And she's 20, almost 21 now. <laughs> and she calls me mom. And so I am her mama. And, uh, and so it's, it's been one of the greatest blessings of my life to, um, to be in a relationship where I am loved, to not ever have to like question my safety or who's there for me or anything. And so obviously because I'm married, now I've got, you know, in-laws and other family mm -hmm. and a father-in-law and a mother-in-law and, you know, and so I've got, and then, and then other people that just by extension of being in a relationship because we're friends, they're my family as well. So I've got a lot of family at this point. Um, and people that I have met along the way that know me, that knew me in the military, that that have known me from when I was in college and just people that I've just kind of said, you're my family now, you're my sister. Like, yeah, 
that that's it. So I have a whole new family. Wow, that's beautiful. So that obviously for some people when they have these traumatic childhoods, especially experiencing emotional and uh, physical abuse, like you said, it affects their ability to create good relationships. Um, And so did you find that there were lingering effects of that childhood experience as you, as you became an adult and sought to create new relationships, whether romantically or friendships or professionally? Yeah. So, um, it, and um, I'm going to go back in time just a little bit. Mm-hmm. So because I didn't have friends and then I was bullied and I had this experience at 10 years old and I started asking God, you know, well, God, why did you even create me? And, you know, and, I, and just kind of praying for God to bring me to heaven. I wanted to die. I would walk to the school bus and ask God to take my life. And then at 21, I attempted to take my life. Because, you know, when you think about family, I thought, well, obviously, I don't belong in this world. Obviously, no one loves me. No one is there for me. No one saved me. And at 21, I fully believed I I shouldn't have been alive. I believed I shouldn't have been in my family. I carried this guilt for even being... (laughs) just me um, and and just felt like I didn't have any worth. And so all of that trauma impacted the relationship I have with myself, seeing value and worth in me. Mm. I carried this enormous amount of guilt for 20 plus years for just being, just taking up residency in the world and and then because of that, I found it really difficult to have healthy relationships with friends. Either I would, I had really toxic relationship habits. Either I would find a reason to end, end the relationship mm-hmm. because I had this inner belief of, well, why would they want to be friends with me? Or what if they hurt me? What if they do something to me in the same way that my mother hurt me, in the same way that my father left me. And so I, I would I would end relationships prematurely, people that, that loved me and cared about me. Or I, the other toxic trait that I had is I was the fixer, the helper for every relationship. If you have a problem, I am going to help you. I'm going to solve it. Let me help you register for school. Let me help you get away from that that abusive boyfriend. Uh, oh, you need money? Let me lend you my last dollar because you're my friend. And so I was the fixer, the helper, the caretaker for everyone. It was one extreme or the other. But then being the helper, caretaker, fixer, that gets old. <laughs> And then I started getting resentful. And so either way, I had these toxic relationship habits. And then the other important relationship to me was my relationship with God. I really questioned what kind of God would put me through this where I'm not loved by anybody. I don't have anybody. And so 
the relationship with myself and with others and with God, it suffered. It, I mean, it just quite simply, it wasn't there because I didn't trust myself and I didn't trust God and I didn't trust anybody else. I, yeah. So I was that you lead me to my next question. I was going to ask, there was a couple moments where you talked about speaking to God when you were 10 and then, you know, asking God why you were born, why you were in this family that was so toxic with his mom that constantly reminded you that to her, you were a mistake. Um, and then you obviously internalized a lot of that because it affected your relationship with other people that doubt that you, you, you doubted your worth. And so you doubted your worthiness as a friend, even though obviously people sought you out to be your friend, but you sabotage, you would sabotage that. In some yes. Way. Um, and then, um, doubting your worth in the eyes of God. And what you said reminds me a lot of myself. I've had, I've have had moments where I truly questioned what it meant to be loved. And then I questioned what it meant to be loved by God. And it took, it takes a lot of work to read, to develop that mindset it's easy to memorize scripture or memorize like, you know, I'm Catholic. So there's a lot of rote prayer, but to internalize what it means to be loved by God is something that hopefully you learn from your family because they're their first expression of God's love to you. And when you don't have that, you kind of seek it out in parts of the world that that's not where you're supposed to find it. And so I can understand you not trusting God because where you should have found that example, you found, you know, it's like picking up a fruit that is rotten and there's no goodness in it. There's nothing that can provide you spiritual nourishment, emotional nourishment, and all of the things that a, a parent, especially a mother, is supposed to give you. And so when you lack that foundation, it's really, really hard to internalize this idea that God loves you just as you are because everything around you has told you the opposite and um, to to work against that is really really hard but I think that you have because you talk about um, being blessed and, and you use words that show that you still have maintained your faith so what allows you to hold on to that faith even if it was as, as thin as a, a thread during all of this time and into your adulthood into who you are now uh, so with everything that I went through at at 21 years old I I say to God okay you know I've given you all this time I've been praying for to die since I was 10 I've been praying for you to bring me to heaven since I was 10 years old so at 21 I attempt to take my life I say, God, I'm done. I'm bowing out. And I actually shoot myself. And during that time, I get rushed to the, the hospital. I was married to a different person at the time. And so he calls 911. They, you know, I get to the hospital. They do emergency surgery. When I wake up, the ER doc says, you're not supposed to be here. He said, you shot yourself. I shot myself near my heart. Wow. And he said, um, the ER doc said, you were within an inch of your heart. 
And he said what should have happened. And I'm familiar with guns. I was in the military. I've shot many of guns. I've, sh you know, he said, but what should have happened is that that bullet was designed to mushroom and it should have destroyed your vital organs, but it didn't. The bullet went in and somehow it traveled downward in my body mm. and it got stuck and they could not explain it. They, I can't explain it today, how that happened, uh, but I survived. And even at that time, I felt like there was, I just felt God say to me, you're not done. Like, you're not done. At, at 21, my life had not even begun to start. I was such a baby. I didn't know anything. I just knew that I was in a lot of pain and I didn't feel loved and I didn't feel wanted. I didn't feel needed in the world. And just like that doc said, you're not supposed to be here. That's I'd been feeling that way my whole life. Yeah, I agree, doc. Why am I still here? And then it, it's a, I just really went on my own journey because to be honest, every church service that I attended, they never talked about trauma. They never talked about abuse. They never talked about low self-esteem, unworthiness. Not in that way. They never talked about healing from trauma. They never talked about suicidal thoughts. So I had to really go on a journey myself. And it's almost as if I heard God say, if no one in this world loves you, can you at least find love for yourself? If no one else in the world accepts you, can you accept yourself? Even with everything you've been through, can you, and I do see God, typically as a black woman. <laughs> so, um, so can you give this life all of the pain? Can you give this life like the best of who you are, the best of what you have with everything? And, and, and it, it's like, I, I imagine holding a deck of cards and God saying, here's your, here's your hand. How are you going to play it? What can you do with it? And I said, okay. So for me, and I believed, well, if I could live through something like that, obviously my life has a purpose. And, and to anybody listening, I do not believe that you have to go through absolutely horrific experiences in order to find purpose. But for me to continue living, I had to find my own purpose and figure out what am I going to do with this? And can I learn to love myself? What does that even mean? Those That's such a, people throw around self-love, self-acceptance, but what does that mean? And so I went on my own journey, you know, to, to just try to figure that out for me. And I knew at the end of the day, I said, I'm not the only person that's going through this. So if I can help another woman, another child that feels unloved and unneeded in the world, then that can be my purpose. That will be my purpose. If that, you know, if that makes sense. Yes, definitely. I think that, I mean, that brings us to your profession as a therapist in your process of figuring this out for yourself, you real you have to know that you're not 
unfortunately, you're not the only child, a uh, person that was a child experiencing abuse. Hundreds, thousands, and thousands of children are in the foster care system or at homes, not even noticed by the foster care system, like you were going unnoticed, experiencing this trauma, this pain, and heartache, all all just desperately hoping for someone to recognize them and, and help them and advocate for them, like the women in your family didn't. And for you to then realize that part of your purpose is not just for yourself, but for others is a beautiful thing. And it's also a healing process. I think um, part of why I love to advocate for others is because at moments in my life, there were people that advocated for me and I want to maybe have a full circle moment and bring that to someone else. And I, you don't see the fruits of everything that you do for others that you won't. The beauty of being a therapist is you kind of do get to see some of those fruits, but you, you don't know yeah. years down the road, what kind of ripple effect that might have on that person's journey and how they affect other people. And so through you choosing to own this new opportunity of life that could easily have been snuffed away, um, you are also helping other people recapture an opportunity of life that they may not have, have if they don't come across specifically you, not just any therapist, but there's, there's a uniqueness that each of us has. And there's a reason why people, there's hundreds of therapists, but there's a reason why certain people don't vibe or connect with a certain therapist, a mentor, a coach, whatever, because each person is unique. So you, Tasha, bring something very special to the table in what you do and how you interact with people. And part of that thing that you bring is this experience, as terrible as it has been, you bring that to the table in a way that another therapist may not be able to. So anybody listening, yes, she's correct. You don't have to have a traumatic experience to be able to affect change or to have purpose in life. But whatever your life experience is a part of that purpose. So owning it, especially the bad, is empowering. And it builds a power to your purpose and journey in the way that not owning it and trying to hide it or disregard it, its existence, cannot. There's no power in that. Absolutely. I mean, that for me was you know, when, when my clients, I specialize in childhood trauma. And so when they see me, I don't share my full story. I mean, it's hard to hide any of it now because I've written a whole book, but, and, but now when, when, when they come to me, they already know, oh, she's, she understands because I, I work with adults who've experienced childhood trauma. So, so I'm not just giving them the intellectual knowledge. I'm able to hold space for them in a way um, that that's just like you've said, that's completely different because I've experienced the thing that they've experienced. And so when they see me, they, I'm a survivor and I'm just along, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to hold space for them and to help them to survive as well, to give them the tools to survive as well. Yes. And also you're an example of the other side. Um, even though, you know, the way to get to the other side for each person is different and some, some people struggle along the way, 
but you're a, you're an example of hope just by existing, being who you are and saying, I was there and I experienced this and I came out at the other side is a witness. And that witness is powerful. Even if they don't realize it in that moment, I've, I've, I look back at life and encounters that I've had with people and they were a glimpse of the other side of hope that I couldn't really quite master up myself, but I knew that it was possible for them. So perhaps it could be possible for me. And so you being who you are is also a glimpse of the other side. So how did you go from Air Force to becoming a social worker and then writing a book and being a therapist? Yeah, so I was in the Air Force and I just... It wasn't the most enjoyable experience. It was beneficial. I am so, I just want to tell God in the universe, thank you for that, those 10 years, because they paid for five college degrees. Thank you. So, (laughs) so it was meaningful. And, and, and so, but, but I didn't feel like I was living my purpose. I was all about, I got to find my purpose, got to find my purpose. And so, I didn't feel that. And, and I also didn't go to therapy while I was in the military, but I just kept, you know, and I would do like the, the boys and girls, uh, I would volunteer at the boys and girls club at the soup kitchen. I would do all these volunteer activities in, in my community, mm-hmm. uh, being a mentor, uh, being, I even, I don't know if you're familiar with like guardian at litem, uh, yeah. but it's, kind of like a court-appointed child advocate for for children that are abused abused and neglected. Yes, yes. And so I would do all these things, but it just didn't do anything for me. It didn't fill that that cup. And again, I had terrible relationship habits, really toxic patterns. And I, I started going to therapy after I got out of the Air Force and the therapist, she, she had me do a couple of things. She said, write down, write down all of your relationships and what would happen if you said no to them. And so I wrote down all of the names and the list was long. And she said, and and I said to her, I said, I'm just afraid if they ask me for anything, I'm afraid of saying no. What if they leave me? What if they get mad at me? What if they never talk to me again? What if they abandon me? And she said, you need to exercise that no muscle. And then I I shared, I don't know if I've shared this with anybody else, but I, I had this experience where I had a, a friend in my office and that friend, <laughs> and I use that word loosely, <laughs> she stayed in my office for eight entire hours wow. crying about a relationship that she was in. My entire workday, she sat in my office And I wanted to say, get the hell out of my office. I wanted to say it. I did. I wanted to say it, but I didn't say it. And I just was like, oh my God, you know, she really needs me. I need to be there. I just need to. So I let her sit at my desk while I did work, but I didn't get a lot of work done because she was in there crying the whole time. And I told my therapist about it and just how gross I felt. I felt so like yucky with that. Like, why did I let her do that? And this was a friend that typically only called me when she needed something. Mm. And the, and the therapist said, girl, you do my job, but you do it for free. (laughs) 
And she said, you got all these people coming to you and people would always come to me and they'd say, Tasha, you're such a good therapist. You're my therapist. I can tell you anything. And I would hold all their secrets. I, and to this day, I'm, I would go, I would go to their grave with their secrets. No problem. But I didn't have anybody I could go to. I didn't trust them. I'm like, I'm not telling them anything. They can't even solve their own issues. How are they going to help me? So I'd keep all my stuff. And, and so she said, <laughs> you need to go to school and become a therapist. And I don't know if she meant it, but she said it and I took it seriously. I was like, oh. And so part of me becoming a social worker, going to get my master's in social work, becoming a social worker is I wanted to understand myself. Mm -hmm. I wanted to understand other people. And I thought... If I can learn while I do certain things and I can help myself, then maybe I can help other people. Mm-hmm. And that literally is, is the, the root of everything that I do. So with my book, my book is called What Children Remember, and it's my memoir, where I really lay the foundation of how trauma impacted the relationship with myself, the relationship with others, the relationship I had with God, platonic and romantic relationships. It's all in there. If I can, in in writing my book is really how I found my voice, not becoming a social worker, not becoming a therapist. I didn't find my voice until I published my book last year. And I thought if I can find my voice, maybe I can help other women find their voice. So then I opened my private practice last year as well. And I said, I'm going to specialize in childhood trauma. And so that's what I do. It's like, if let me, okay, I'm liberated. I'm good now at this point. I've been a therapist now for about four years. Can I, and I'm still healing. I think that'll continue for the rest of my life. Let me bring some others with me. So that's kind of the journey that I'm on with my book and with being a therapist and everything that I do. It's bringing others with you. And bringing others with you in the process of healing too. Mm-hmm. I love that. I really do. And I, I it's stunning that um, having the empowering opportunity to write out your whole story and make those connections within that memoir is how you truly found your voice. You're putting it pen to paper. And it reminds me of what you said earlier of how you were always a writer. Like that, that was the subject in school that you were the most connected to. And you were always spending time in the library and how the books and poetry and the stories that you read and heard really connected with you and allowed you to escape. And now your voice has escaped through this process of writing your own book and telling your own story and making those connections in the process. But everything that happened was necessary for you to get to that step. If you hadn't, you know, gone to therapy, had those conversations, do the work with your therapist, and then go back to school, understand yourself and others better, I don't think, I personally don't think that the book would be 
where it was and you wouldn't have found that voice that you said in that same way. And so everything is a process and you, each part of this journey is adding to that process. And I can imagine in 10 years, how much more, uh, how many more fruits you'll have from your experience now having an established practice and having people that you've brought along the way in this healing process for yourself and for them as well. Absolutely. That's, that's the, the goal with every project. It's, it's right now I'm, I'm developing my podcast. It's called when we speak. Mm-hmm. And so the, this, this, you know, it, it's therapeutic, you know, to, to tell your story and, and to get it out there. It, it, over time, as you get used to telling your own story, owning your story and, and finding your voice, it's it's cathartic. And, and so as you do that, it releases the shame every little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then you no longer worry about, oh, well, what's my mother going to think if I say this? What's my father going to think? What are my siblings? Well, it doesn't really matter. Because you're owning your story, that's your story, and the more you 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 talk about it, and and you well, you talk about it with people who are safe, right, in safe spaces, and with people who deserve to hear it, it releases that shame and that secrecy. And so, in ten years, who knows where I'll be? You know, with the podcast and maybe with other books, but always with the purpose of I've got these invisible you know, these, these people, these in mind that just like me grew up with nobody to talk to and that are living in such shame because of decisions that they made or how they grew up or how they were treated. And I just want to say to them, it's okay. It's all good. It's all right. And, and, And you're loved and you're accepted and you're needed in this world, no matter what. So I hope I have a whole army of people that that grow to believe that I don't know I that, that's what I want I I mean I think that that is so that's a great goal because it's it's very selfless but it's also not that overly selfless where it's almost like you said a trauma like like you had like a trauma response of overly caring caring too much for people that you're not caring for yourself and thinking about yourself along the way. And um, I wanted to, to note how I really do love how you said it's therapeutic to tell your story, owning your story. It releases the shame. I think that secrecy, that shame, that especially thinking about how your mom didn't allow you to speak up for yourself when you were experiencing abuse, you kind of had to hide that you didn't really get to share with people, you didn't have people to trust to share your story with, and that all was wrapping itself up around you and kind of entangling you and trapping you, and as you tell your story and open up more and more of yourself, you're releasing those tangles that really just are meant to hinder you from living your life fully with purpose as beautifully as it can possibly be and to have more and more um, possibilities of those deck of cards in your hand like you said 
Um, do you have any tips for, as a, as a therapist, um, do you have any tips for someone who maybe listening to this is realizing that perhaps some of the ways that they act with people is a trauma response? I've seen a lot on Instagram phrases like perfectionism is a trauma response or over-explaining mm-hmm. is a trauma re- response. And sometimes I think those phrases can be used um, cliché. But sometimes I think that there's also, there's root, there's, you know, real psychological root in it, especially when you were talking about not being like the therapist to your friends and not being able to say no when someone comes to you and they need help. That desire to be wanted and needed can very much be hard to break um, and not having the reciprocal exist in a relationship is very much like a essential traumatic response yeah it absolutely i would for anybody listening that is just kind of thinking about their own life and maybe parts of my story resonate with with what they've also experienced i would say the first step is just think about just give yourself the time the space the freedom to just own your own story. And I hate that as a cliche. So I'm just going to say, journal your story, just write it down for you. This is what I've experienced. I'll give you an example of how I owned my own story. I wrote in my journal, I was born to an 18 year old mother who did not love me. I was born. um, I had a, a father who did not want me. He told me that. That's owning my story. Then, who in your life can you trust? Share your story with one safe person. Somebody who's not going to share it. Somebody that, 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 that you have this close relationship with. Think about how has your upbringing Um, What messages did you receive about your life, about your body, about your hair, your skin color, your voice? And then how do you feel about all of those things? How are you treating yourself? Are you numbing the pain with food? Are you numbing it with overspending? Are you numbing it by overworking? Are you in and out of relationships one after the other and trying to figure out how do I How do I get really quality people, uh, you know, long lasting relationships? Think about the areas in your life that are impacted. That's the first start to it. And then ask for help from a safe person. For me, a safe person was a therapist. I didn't want to go to my church. I didn't want another prayer meeting. I didn't want to go to the altar. Don't ask me to read my Bible. I need it because I'm asking, I'm like, Jesus, come on. All these people, what is it? Seven billion people or something in the world? I don't know. (laughs) You're telling me there's nobody on earth that can be there for me in a real and tangible way. For me, that was a therapist. And I've had amazing, but but find a therapist that specializes in what you are experiencing, whatever that is. 
that's, I mean, that's, that's really the start. I don't know. I feel like maybe I've, I've gave, gave you too much and maybe I forgot the question, but. Um... No, 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 that's great. Those are <laughs> great starts. One, I yeah. like the, I like just putting pen to paper to your story because we have it running in our head. We have it in our memories. Maybe they come up in our dreams, but putting it pen to paper on a journal, in a journal, maybe you write a note on your phone, speak it in a voice memo, whatever way you can just get it out from your mind and your heart onto a concrete place and then sharing it with someone that might be the second that second part of sharing finding someone that they trust to share it might take a while so it's not like these steps are gonna happen right away and we already know how much of a barrier some people might have to therapy whether it's financial barrier or getting over that mental health stigma or whatever but at least if you start with just telling your story that's part of why i started this podcast because i think everybody has valuable stories to tell whether they don't all have to be traumatic they could be stories of great things that have happened in your life and maybe if you're struggling with relationships you have to remember that you've always had you've had a root of good relationships in your family and this is something that you you maybe are like not having in your relationships now so it reminds you of what you've you've had and you want to have in a future it doesn't always have to be trauma but especially if you've experienced anything that our knee-jerk reaction is to hide or feel shame behind letting go of it releasing that shame as simple as writing something down i think that's a great first step so thank you so much for sharing thank you thank you for having me well i want to thank you so so much for just pouring out your heart and sharing your story and being vulnerable with us. And I hope that those listening, whether you've experienced trauma or you know someone that's experienced trauma, um, has learned something and is able to share this information with others. Can you tell us where we can follow along, whether it's through your practice or in your upcoming podcast so we can follow along on your journey? Sure. If anybody wants uh, to follow me, uh, I'm on Instagram under Tasha Hunter LCSW. Uh, I share information from my book. I'll share quotes. I share uh, upcoming. I'll be sharing things from my podcast. Uh, and, and then I share a lot of things that are just, you know, from just trauma and how to cope and, and deal. And so uh, if anybody wants to reach out, find me on Instagram. Perfect. Thank you so much. I'll leave your information in the show notes. Thank you again, Tasha. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you. What a blessing Tasha's life is. And what a blessing the women she mentioned were that were guides for her along her way. I hope you gathered some nuggets of hope within her story. Even when we leave troubling circumstances, the effects still linger, and as Tasha learned, she needed to address and unpack that trauma in order to step into the more fulfilling life she was meant for. If you are someone you know is experiencing abuse or has experienced abuse or trauma and would like to seek professional help, I will link some resources for where you can find a therapist near you. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend so that they can hear stories just like Tasha's. As always, have a great day in your own amazing story.